Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Mike Corson. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. It's an honor to be trusted to speak with you today by you and by Pastor Nathan and the leadership of Providence. Um, I get to serve on the best team that I could possibly imagine serving on, and I'm just so blessed and honored to be able to, uh, to be here and to, to share with you what God's put on my heart this morning. So super, super blessed. I want to ask you a question this morning, and, uh, and it's a question that we're going to think deeply about for the next few moments, and the question is, what is compelling your life? What's compelling your life? When you think about the deep places inside of you, what motivates you? What drives you? What's compelling your life? When I was a kid, I was primarily compelled by fun. Can you relate with that? Compelled by fun? And I, I, uh, I remember when I was a little guy, I used to have these Superman jammies. And I loved these things. I didn't even know they were jammies. I thought it was the suit, man. I look back now, I know it was the jammies. But I'm glad I didn't know because I used to run and I'd run around. I'd jump. I remember I would jump off the top step down to the bottom. And for just a moment, I was flying. I used to run in my closet and I'd real quick change into my normal clothes. And I'd come out, you know, like I'm not Superman like my parents. Hey, guys, not Superman. I was compelled by fun. When I was about eight years old, I was sleeping over at my cousin's house, and we were going to go to Six Flags the next morning, and I was so excited to ride on the roller coasters. I couldn't wait. And that night, my cousins and I were in the basement, and we were playing this game where my cousin Rob, who was a few years older than me, would lay on his back and coil his legs in, and I would sit on his feet, and he would launch me across the room onto the couch. And we did this over and over and over until one point I went past the couch and I reached my arm out to break my fall, but instead of breaking my fall, I broke something else. I broke my arm. All this while the babysitter was watching television upstairs. (laughs) Don't watch TV while babysitting. And as I got up off the floor and I looked at my arm, it had broken so clean that If you get grossed out, close your ears. The bone had come back on top of itself so that it was shaped like a crooked lightning bolt. And I stood up and I was so freaked out, eight years old, I looked at my arm and I looked at my cousins and I held it in the air and I said, look at my arm! (laughs) It's all I could think to do. And my parents came and got me and rushed me to the hospital. And I I grabbed it. I was so freaked out. I grabbed it and I pulled it out and reset it myself. (laughs) It's a true story. And my parents came and rushed me to the hospital. and, And I remember I was so upset, not about my broken arm, but because I wasn't going to get to ride the roller coasters. Compelled by fun. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking about his ministry to reconcile people to God. And he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 
verse 14, for Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us, Paul says. Because I would say this morning that our influence on the world depends on what compels us. Our influence on our kids, parents. Our influence on our friends. Our influence on our coworkers, our influence on our neighbors, our influence on the global community church depends on what compels us. And so I ask, what is compelling your life? As an adult, I'm compelled by a handful of things. Moments I've been compelled by faith and my beautiful, wonderful, amazing, crazy, awesome wife, Diana, who, can you just pop a hand up right here? This is my wife. She's my best friend. She and I have made some bold faith steps together. And we've been compelled by faith in times of our life. But in other times, I have been compelled by fear. Fear of failure. Fear of being alone. Fear of being unimportant. Fear of the kid, my kid's future. And sometimes that fear manifests itself in frustration and anger. Sometimes it manifests itself in anxiety. Can you relate this morning? And many times being compelled by fear, not by the love of Christ, it has rendered me incapable of truly loving other people. Because our influence on the world depends on what compels us. And there have been many times when I have pretended to have compassion for people because it's just not in me. And so there have been times in my life when I've trained my responses to act like I care because I wasn't compelled by love. I was being compelled by other things. A desire to be liked. A desire to succeed. A desire to be important. The problem is that when we are not compelled by God's love, it messes us up and we are incapable of loving other people. So how can we walk in God's glorious calling if we're compelled by anxiety? How can we live out God's plan for our lives if we're compelled by fear or shame or stress or a desire to be liked or to succeed? But if we are compelled deeply by the love of Christ, like the Apostle Paul, then we will have a profound influence on the world. Because our influence on the world depends on what compels us. So what's compelling us? Paul says, for Christ's love compels us. The Greek word for compel here means to be seized, to be gripped, to be taken hold of like an illness takes a hold of a person. It means to be taken over. It's beyond our control. It's intense. It's an irresistible influence. I will never forget the Christmas of 2011. Christmas Eve, I started to feel bad. And I thought, man, I must just be tired. So I went to bed early Christmas Eve, and I woke up the next morning with the worst case of influenza I've ever experienced in my life. And I, I, I just was sick. I visited the bathroom constantly. It was awful. 
Have you ever been so sick that you became deeply thankful that John Crapper invented the toilet? What did they do before the toilet? But this thing, this illness took over my life. And when Paul says the love of Christ compels us, this word means that God has so gripped Paul's life. He's been overtaken by the incredible love of God for him. The Good News Translation says, we are ruled by the love of Christ. The Passion Translation says, for it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us. See, Paul's life wasn't being driven by anxiety or fear or, or a desire to be important or succeed or by stress or comfort. He was being driven by Christ's extravagant love for him. It's important that we make a distinction between being driven by love and being driven by a fear that we won't please God. Because when we're driven by fear, even a fear that seems godly, a fear that I won't please God, it produces anxiety which renders us incapable of pleasing God with our actions. Because we will always fail until we believe that God's love is so extravagant and so for us, even in our darkest moment. And when we begin to have our lives compelled, not by a desire to please God with our actions, but just simply by the unconditional, extravagant, fierce love of God, when that is compelling us, then we are freed to live lives the way God wants us to. It's not about striving to please God. It's about being compelled by the love of God. And there's a big difference. And that's why Paul's life had such a profound impact. Because our influence on the world depends on what compels us. So we're going to jump to 1 John, and we're going to spend the rest of our time in 1 John chapter 4. And John writes this. He says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. You mean we don't muster up love for people? I mean, I can't love someone by trying harder to love them? We can't. We can't, right? No, no, no wonder it's so hard to love my family. No wonder it's so hard to love people who are different from me. No wonder it's so hard to love people who are too much like me. Can't love anybody right because love comes from God. In verse 16, he says this And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. See, it's not just about knowing it in our brains because we could be filled with information about the Word of God and still be a selfish, selfish jerk. But it's about God's love transforming us as our trust, our confidence, our dependence on his love grows. As we experience his extravagant love, he begins to change what drives us. Church, do you want to be freed from the anxiety, from the fear, from the stress, from the things that you hate, 
that you do, but you keep doing? The answer is found in resting in the love of the Father and being compelled by love. The New Living Translation says in verse 16, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. It is so critical that we live lives, we live lives centered around his presence, centered around the presence of God, that we make space in our lives just to be with Jesus. So critical because it's there that his love can invade us, can stir in us, can penetrate the deepest places of our soul. It's so important that we have a space in our lives where Jesus can just love on us. He goes on, verse 16, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Perfect love drives out fear. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. In verse 19, we love because he first loved us. See, his love is what changes us. It makes us capable of love. His love is what transforms us. His love is what breaks down the layers of selfishness and fear in our lives. Many times I have blown it in the love department when I have not been compelled by the love of God. And at times I have gotten so frustrated with my kids. I swear I spent a year of my marriage secretly mad at my wife for no good reason at all. <laughs> Some of you guys are there right now. And I want so badly to leave a legacy of love that people around me would be deeply influenced in their love for Jesus because of my life. Parents, don't you want that for your kids? We want that for our coworkers, for our family members, for our friends, that we would leave a, a deep and lasting influence in the lives of people. Our influence on the, on the world depends on what compels us. See, we don't really love unless we are compelled by God's love. And we are incapable of truly loving, incapable of having a profound and lasting impact on the world unless we ourselves have drank deeply of the love of God. About four years ago or so, my kids, my boys, got involved with Taekwondo. They started, you know, and wah, and they started doing all that. And so I got into it with them, and it was fun. We were doing it for a while, and then I got, like, real serious about it and started to like it more than they did, I think. <laughs> Getting kicked in the head is fun. And one day, I'm doing this stretching exercise. It's like a partner stretch thing, which I hated, but I did it. And there's one leg on the, one foot is on the floor, the other foot is in the air, and this other, this guy is stretching me. Don't paint a mental picture, it's scary. And I can tell that, like, it is just too far. Like, I, I, my foot is too high in the air. 
And so I say to this guy, a little lower. And he thought I said, a little more. And he cranked me up even higher. And I felt my hamstring tear. And what started off as a minor sports injury became a chronic injury, which became this weird nerve pain issue that was spreading across the left side of my body. And I went and I had diagnostic surgery, which was supposed to help. But what happened was it knocked me out so that I could no longer walk. And after not being able to walk for about a month, I went in to see a new doctor who diagnosed me with chronic regional pain syndrome, a progressive debilitating pain disorder. And when he first diagnosed me, he acted like it was no big deal. So I thought it was no big deal, you know? He gave me a, a script. I went home. I didn't even fill it at first. You know, a couple days later, I start kind of Googling chronic, regional, what was it again? And I get it in there, and I'm looking, and I'm like, holy crap. This is bad. And I discovered 90% of the people who have been diagnosed with this cannot work. And so I'm looking at pictures, like people in their beds for their whole lives, like, like just in excruciating pain. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have this. And I started to freak out. And for about a week, I was in this state of the deepest fear I've ever experienced in my life. And as I processed this fear, why do I feel like my life is over? Like, what, what, what specifically am I afraid of? Because I, I wanted to bring that before God. I desperately needed to find peace in this place. And what I discovered was that the two things that were most important to me Two things that I hung my identity on were being threatened by CRPS, and they were to be a great dad and to be a great leader. How am I supposed to be a good dad if I can't even walk my daughter down the aisle or dance with her at her wedding or go to my kids' games and sit in the bleachers except instead of in a wheelchair? And I don't know if you've ever ridden one of those motorized wheelchairs at Walmart, but they beep really loud when you back up, and it's embarrassing. <laughs> How am I supposed to be a great leader if I can't even stand up? And this was core to who I saw myself as. And so that was being threatened, and that is what drove me to feel like my life was over. And I remember one morning when I was all alone with God before the sun came up, and I was journaling these things to God. I was saying, God, I'm so afraid of this. I'm not going to be able to be the dad I've always longed to be and the leader that I've always wanted to be. And in the quiet, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and he said to me, Mike, this illness is the very thing I'm going to use to make you the dad and the leader that you've always longed to be. And I came to a place where I just had to say, Jesus, if all I have is your love, if all I have is your love for me, I am okay. I'm okay. And God has used these past three years to change me from the inside in some ways that I have wanted to be changed for my entire life. Things I've hated about myself, the secret ways that I feel, the ways that I act, that I hate, God has begun to change those things deeply. And through this season, I've experienced his love more deeply than I, I ever thought I would. And I've began, begun to learn to love. 
And coming to the end of myself is what it took because God knew I was incredibly, I am incredibly stubborn. And I'm still far from perfect. Just ask Nathan <laughs> or my wife. But I have encountered God's love in a way that's begun to change me deeply. Because we can only love in proportion to the confidence that we have in God's love for us. No matter how much we strive to think of the needs for others, the needs of others, no matter how hard we try to muster up selfless action, no matter how many things we do or how much we give away, we're powerless to love, incapable of truly influencing the world for Christ unless we first know deeply the extravagant love of the Father for us. It brings freedom, church. Freedom from fear and anxiety and freedom from pornography and lust and freedom from the things that have bound you for years that you go back to and then you are, you're, you're, have victory from for a while and then you go back to and you have victory from for a while. Have you been there? Are you there right now? There's freedom in the love of Jesus. And the Father loves you so much. He loves you as much as he loves his beloved son, Jesus. You know that, John 17. Even in our imperfection, he delights to call you a son or a daughter. And that is true on your worst day, at your worst moment. And nothing can separate us from his love. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves he will take great delight in you. He will take great delight in you. I know for some of you this morning, the concept of God delighting in you is so counter to how you see yourself. He will take great delight in you. This is no longer future tense. The cross has happened. You are in Christ. He takes great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Picture God rejoicing over you with singing. Even in your worst moment. Not because he loves what you're doing in your worst moment, but because that is the very thing that calls you out of your worst moments. Spiritual growth happens as we know and rely on his love. When Paul talks about being compelled by Christ's love, he hasn't just learned about it, he's experienced it. He has lived at the feet of Jesus. Over the past two years, God has directed me toward medical answers for what's been happening with me. And over the, the past 18 months, I've been, I've been tr in treatment for Lyme disease. And I, have been, I, I am being healed and healed and healed and healed. Slowly healing over the past year and a half. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And I'm not 100% yet, but I am so grateful for the healing that God has done. So grateful for your prayers. And there are two gifts that God gave me through my battle with CRPS and Lyme disease. Two gifts. 
The first is that I know 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 that I am extravagantly loved. And God has begun to change me as a result. And gift number two is this. <laughs> <laughs> See this? It can be embarrassing, but it's not. It's not embarrassing. Some of you guys have these, and it's, it's just part of life, right? But this has been incredibly handy. We were at a conference about a year ago, and the parking lot was crazy full, busting at the seams, thousands of people, over 10,000. And you couldn't park anywhere near the building. And to walk all the way from there to the building, for me, would be a bit painful. So we pulled up, and right near the door was a space reserved just for me. My family and I vacationed to Florida, and the town we stay in has very few parking lots with beach access. And Sometimes the one that we go to gets so full that the cars spill out onto the road waiting for somebody to get bored at the beach and go and get in their car and leave. And one time we pulled in and the parking lot was jam-packed, but right near the bathroom was a space just for me, <laughs> reserved. Church, there is a place reserved for you in the love of the Father. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how full you think that parking lot is with people who you perceive to be so much better than you. There is a space reserved for you in the love of the Father. And it changes you. There's a place in his extravagant goodness and if you will park your life in his wild, crazy affection for you, then he will begin to deliver you, maybe from things you've struggled with for your entire life. He'll begin to set you free from that anxiety that you hate, from all the things that you need freedom from, and he'll begin to teach you to love in ways that you've never loved before. Because our influence on the world depends on what compels us. And if we can position our lives to drink deeply of his love, he will make us into a people who can be used profoundly in the lives of others. What if we were truly compelled by Christ's love? Deeply compelled as a church, as a family. What if we were compelled by the love of Christ as Paul was? How would that influence the way we act at school or at work? How would it change the way we parent? How would it impact marriages and friendships? How profoundly might we influence the lives of other people? I want to challenge you this morning. Do not neglect the presence of God. Make space in your life. Make space Every day, make space when you come to church. Make space when you gather with Christians. Do not neglect the presence of God because that is where God's love can reach you. 
when you're in his presence. And that's not to downplay the word of God. The word and the presence are like this, man. You need both. But it is easy to read a verse on the run or not, not at all. Do not neglect the presence of God. Don't miss a day of sitting at his feet. Take every chance to be a recipient of his love for you. Maybe you feel like you can't love people and you can't receive God's love because he's hurt you. Maybe that's how you feel. That God has hurt you. That God has messed up your life or God has neglected you or God has inflicted you with something that other people don't have to deal with and so you feel like God's not for you. And you watch other people around you blessed, but where's your blessing? Or maybe you don't feel like you can trust his love. I just want to invite you that today is the day to let his wild affection in. Today is the day to say, okay, God, I'm going to choose to recognize that you delight in me that you sing over me, that even though the circumstances in my life don't make sense sometimes, that you're inviting me into greater. And you can begin going deeper in the love of Jesus today. Can I share something that's been stirring in, in me for the past couple of years, past year? So about a year ago, God put it on our hearts, a couple of us leaders at Providence, to start something that would help other churches. Because we're in relationship with other leaders and other, other churches that are, are feeling very disappointed with the way things are. And we're experiencing such life in our community, and we see so many lives being transformed and so many people coming to faith in Jesus. And we feel so blessed at Providence that we felt God stirring in us to say, how can we give that away? How can, we, how can we help other churches? How can we build something that would share what we have been blessed by God with? And so last August, we started to work on what is now called Greater Culture Group. It's a nonprofit consulting firm to empower churches to move into their greatest days. And so we've been working with a number of clients this year. We, we're working with our fourth client right now. And, and we're just, we, uh, Pastor Marcel and I and, uh, and one other uh, person on our team were just in, uh, in the Lancaster area last week. And we just saw such breakthrough while we were there. It was just this holy time, this holy moment where God began to, to stir things up in their leadership team. It was like turning a corner in the process. We are so early in this process of building this ministry, but we're so excited for what God is going to do. So I just wanted to share that with you guys, just to give you guys an update. God is, is using Providence not, uh, not just to work in this community, but to help other churches too. And, and some of the people involved in that are in the room, and we're so thankful for you guys. So I just wanted to share that with you guys this morning, just something God is doing that we can be a light to the world, even with other churches, and love them well.
So we're going we're gonna to close. We're going to wrap things up. And, and I'm going to pray, but I just want to ask you to stand this morning as we pray. And as you stand, if you're comfortable, I want you to just lift, lift your palms to God like you're receiving something. And we're just going to invite the love of God in in a fresh way. God, we just thank you that your love for us is beyond comprehension. That your affection for us is fierce. And so God, in a fresh way this morning, we receive your love and we invite you to change us. We invite you to meet us in the quiet places of our life and to show us how to make more space for you and some of us in this place have not, have put up a wall to you for quite a long time because we feel like we cannot trust your love. And so this morning, God, we invite you in once again. And we, we, we tear down the walls and we say, God, we want to know you deeper. And we want to know the extravagance of your love. And we love you, God, and we trust you, and we thank you for all that you're doing in us and pray that you would teach us to have a greater influence on the world than we've ever thought possible as the Providence family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.